You're listening to a message from the church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. Good morning and welcome to Easter at TCAR. What a powerful name it is. I, I love that. Seeing the baptism this morning and and uh, it being Easter, my weekend's been full uh, this week. Uh, what two beautiful pictures, three beautiful pictures of uh, Easter that I have been able to take part in this weekend, this this week, all this week of Wednesday when we gathered here to have a service about the cross and talked about what Good Friday was and had the Lord's Supper together. Um, a reflection of what Christ did for us, and then to come here and uh, see baptism, uh, two of the ordinances of the church that Jesus said, do this, and both of those things just point to the, the cross and what Jesus did for us and the new life he provides for us through his resurrection, and then uh, I got to do a wedding this weekend, and so wedding is a beautiful picture of, I've never done a wedding on Good Friday before, so it's... It, it was a beautiful picture of how uh, we're to have a relationship with God, and he gave us marriage as a reflection to point to that relationship we're to have with him, that it's not about religion. It's about just knowing God and having a relationship with him and walking with him. And, and it's, just, it's just been a full week. And, and I just was thinking as uh, we were singing that song, what a powerful name it is, because I'm going to talk about the miracle of the resurrection this morning and what we know about it. But for me, I was just sitting there thinking, it, it's so powerful because we think, what, a, what a, an amazing miracle. Why don't we see stuff like that today? Uh, you know, see these miraculous things. And I would just say this. You saw it this morning in a reflection in, in Aslan because there's no greater miracle than for God to change a human heart, to take somebody from greedy to generous from hateful to loving from uh, just angry to joyful to to turn a human heart around and and heal a person and and give them new life there's no greater miracle than that I would rather see that any day than to go out and see some miraculous sign or or see some some other visible miracle happen the change of a human heart is amazing. And that's what God wants to do for all of us. And so if you're here today, I'll just warn you ahead of time. That's what God wants. And I don't think it's an accident you're here this morning. I think God wants your heart to be changed, even for me to take another step toward him and be made more like his son Jesus. It's just, it's, a, it's an amazing thing, and the power of God can do that. So the warning comes up front. We call this a safe place to hear a dangerous message. It's a safe place to explore and talk about and, and us just walking this journey together of, of what the Bible says and who God is and help one another. But the danger comes in that God can change you. You know, it's, it's one, if you surrender to that message and what he has for you and, and the gospel of Jesus Christ, it, it'll change your life. It's pretty, pretty dangerous, okay? And so... Um, at, after the service, maybe you have more questions or whatever. If you're a first-time guest, again, Tyler said this before, or second time or third time maybe, and I've never just got to meet you face-to-face -face or whatever. We, we've even got some special gifts out there for our visitors today, so if you'll come by the tent on the right out there afterwards, I'd love to give. You will want it. Okay, I'll just tell you that up front. Okay? It, we, we've been blessed to have... Uh, the, Smuckers who support missions in Honduras and, and all that money goes back into uh, from like the coffee sales. The reason the coffee stuff happens and we're involved in that and he's involved in that is, is that whole deal supports church planting down in Honduras that we work with. And so that's there. And um, so you, there's, there's coffee-oriented stuff in there. I'll just tell you that. I'm not going to tell you everything, okay? There's even some stuff to get you some donuts, okay? Um, so see me out there afterwards but anyway um, hopefully I'll get to get to talk to you later but safe place to hear a dangerous message 
And so the, the real way I was going to start this morning is just to say, hey, as kids growing up, we all kind of had our own language. It's like it's unique to, to be around the youth ministry stuff. And now as I'm getting much older, I hear kids say stuff and I'm like, what does that mean? I'll hear my son say stuff and I'm like, was that was I really did I come off that? Moronic is the only word I can come up with. <laughs> to my parents when I was a kid, did they stand around going, that makes no sense. You know, I don't know why this, is that me popping? But, sorry guys. Anyway, I'll just keep rolling. But I, I would remember uh, things I would say as a kid. Uh, I, I grew up up north a little bit, like I was an 80s kid. I was born in East Tennessee. Don't throw rocks at me and throw me out of here as a Yankee, although there are a lot of you in here with me, okay? So it would be an even fight, I think. Um, I, I born in East Tennessee, grew up up north. My prime years were in the 80s, so you guys always, every now and then you'll hear an 80s song or something, 80s come out of me, and, and that's just, I'm, I apologize for that. God's still working on me on that. Um, but I grew up up north, not like out in California, so I didn't speak Valley Girl language, if you remember all that from the 80s. Um, I, d I did not do that. Um, but I, I can remember things like um, like if, if you schooled somebody, or I, can, I don't know how to say it these days, if you, if you like did a good basketball move and broke somebody's ankles, you know, in a good basketball move, um, I don't know why, but back then in, in Indianapolis, this must have been just something there, they would say you got joned. And I was like, they would use that word, and I'm like, where did that come from? But we all said it, just because it was just the normal thing there. So you just said that. But some things, though, however, I don't know what it was like for you. You're thinking of all the weird stuff you said when you were a kid. But, but some things were kind of the same anywhere. You'd have the same kind of reactions even as a kid. Like if somebody told you that... Um, they were like, man, I'm going to do this. A lot, of, a lot of times you would say, well, I dare you, right? Like that was kind of common. If somebody was going to do something really risky or they acted like they were going to, but you knew they really wouldn't, it'd be like, I dare you. I double dog dare you, right? And I don't know where it went from there, triples and quadruples and what that all meant, but that's, that's something kind of common to everybody. And, and then another thing you would do is if somebody said they could do something that was really way above what you thought they could do, you're like, there's no way they could really do that, then, then you would say either I, b I bet you can't or you would have to look at them and say, well, prove it. Like if they'd say, well, I, c I can, like if my son Cole came to me and said, hey, Dad, I can dunk a basketball on a regulation height goal, I would say, well, okay, prove it because I don't believe you, all right? I just don't believe it. Um, or if David said he could throw a perfect cornhole game, I would say, well, prove it, okay? He's probably, like, up to the challenge, but anyway. Or if Andrew said, I have come up with even a better donut, I would say, please <laughs> prove it, okay? I will be your guinea pig, right? And And, and so we would automatically, uh, the automatic reaction when it's something we just don't believe is to say, well, prove it. And so what if somebody said, well, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to come back to life. I'm going to be raised from the dead. W would, you, would you believe that if somebody just told you that, no matter what you saw out of them or heard or miraculous things they may have even done to say, I'm going to die and then come back to life? And, and in a world where we seem not to be able to really know anything for certain anymore, like there's no absolute truth and what is true and, and it just seems that way and people talk that way, wouldn't it be nice for something to be true that's that amazing? And, and everybody has questions when it comes to Jesus. I mean, that's where we're at this morning and we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus here together for those of us who uh, have placed our faith in Christ, but especially when it comes to Jesus and his, his claims of doing just what I said about dying and coming back from the dead, there's a lot of us, and we all still wrestle with certain questions and have our thoughts. And, uh, but that first part is really hard for people to overcome, to say that that's true, being, 
put to death and then coming back to life. He, but here's a guy who says he came from heaven, that he is actually God in the flesh, come from heaven to earth in human form to show us the way to be forgiven of sin, how to, how to live, how to spend eternity with God one day when we physically die. And, and if somebody walked up to you today and said that to you, that this, this is it. I mean, there's, there's something in us that just goes, well, prove it. Or, hey, I know this for sure. That can't be true. And it's amazing to think there were many people that said that, that Jesus said that to. I mean, when he walked the earth 2,000 years ago, he, he, just, he would tell people that. Hey, one day I'm going to be killed, but don't worry. Three days later, I will come back to life and it'll be okay. And you have probably felt like, um, you know, can I really believe that too? That, he, that that could be true, that he would do that? And, and Jesus probably felt like, it shows us in Scripture, there's times people just didn't believe him. They would be like, no, prove it by signs, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And Jesus wouldn't get mad and like storm off. He wouldn't like get upset and like, why are you questioning this? You know, and like how sometimes we feel like we get that in church, like because we question things or we ask questions or whatever. People have this, this thing of, of they feel like the church just kind of goes, quit asking those questions. You, you're just all wrong. You can't, you get, you, this is just right. You have to believe that. And it's like, no, it should be a place where we welcome questions. And we want to talk about things and help people along and, and share what we've, we've learned and what we know. And we all have questions. But, but it should be, Jesus didn't do that. He would talk to people about their questions. And a, a sane person would want to know and have questions if that were said to them. Hey, I'm going to die and come back to life. A sane person would have questions and be like, well, prove it because just, that just doesn't happen, Right? When Jesus was asked for proof of being God in the flesh and being able to forgive sins, he just said, okay, and he did it. And it's so amazing what he did, and it's still the centerpiece of all things today. It's why we're here and why this message has traveled all the way around the world to us, and for 2,000 years it's been that way, and it, it's, it's why we all kind of gather here today. His, his proof of who he was as the key to why we do what we do here, his proof was Easter. The proof of what he said he could do and who he was was the Easter message coming back to life. That's what Easter is. It's, it's the celebrating the Lord's day. It's being here and celebrating his resurrection. The undeniable proof that he, he is who he said he was and did what he said he would do so that many people could understand it and be able to know for sure, to be able to say, this I know, Jesus is who he said he was, and I'm, pay, I'm putting my faith in that. But even the religious leaders of his day would ask Jesus for proof of what he was saying, like in one of the biographies, and that's what these writings in, in, the, in the Bible are, like um, about the life of Jesus, like Matthew. He records this conversation and talks about what happened uh, in this historical account. In Matthew 12, it says, in verse 38, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. In other words, they're looking at him going, Prove it. You've said you're going to die and come back to life, that you're this Messiah. Prove it. But he replied to them, When it is evening, you said, well, Excuse me, I've skipped down to the next one. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay? So he's saying, I'm going to prove it, but the way I'm going to prove it is not by doing it the way you want me to, I'm going to prove it just by doing it. I'm going to die and come back to life. I will die and three days later come back to life. Then later Matthew records this in Matthew 16, 1 through 4. He says, the Pharisees and Sadducees came up. Here they are again. It's always these religious people, right? Sorry about the popping. I do not know where that's got me from. 
But they asked him, it says they came up to him and asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. You ever, did you ever know that was in the Bible? Y'all thought that was the farmer's almanac, right? Okay. And in the morning, there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the sign of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. Okay? And he's referring back to that again, saying, I'm going to do it by proving to you when I die and I'm raised again in three days. And over and over again in the history uh, that we see of the Bible and what Jesus told people over and over again, he says the sign, the proof, the test of whether he was real or not and who he said he was, was that it all rides on the death, burial, and resurrection happening. It all rides on that one thing. This I, I know and I can tell you for certain. Everything hangs on whether or not the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is true or not. Everything for all of us hinges on, did that really happen? That gives credibility to Jesus. It gives authority to the scriptures. It validates what we believe, okay? Paul in the New Testament wrote in regard to, this, to the resurrection of Jesus. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 19. He says, and if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is, is worthless. You see what he says? It, it, if there's no resurrection, then it's, it's not worth anything. You are still in your sins. He couldn't have been the one to die for your sins if that were not true. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. If there's no life after death, if there's no raising from the dead, if he wasn't resurrected, then we can't defeat death, and there's no hope. We're, we're to be pitied, especially those who believe in that, and it's not true. Everything you have staked your life on as a Christian, if you are one, is a, is a joke if Jesus was not raised from the dead. That's what Paul would say, and that he had furthermore been... He would say, we've been telling straight-up lies about God to many people if that's not true, okay? Everything Paul had been telling people in these letters was a lie if there's no resurrection. But this I know, Christ has risen from the dead and is alive and well and longs for us to know him and the certainty of life with him. Millions are celebrating around the world today. Do you, do you, do you grasp that? how amazing that is, that if it's not true, how is that possible? Okay? They're celebrating what really happened, but, but what is the proof? What about all these questions people ask, and yet, you know, I just don't hear an answer for those things, and they come up with all these things of how is this true, okay? Christianity is the world's largest faith. It's People try to debate and say Islam has gotten bigger than Christianity, but the statistics still say Christianity is, is the largest religion, largest faith, um, and it's built off of the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. 2.3 billion people, 32% of the world, one statistic I saw. So how did it happen that that all happened? Okay. What, what do you find when you look for proof of this happening? And some of you know there's, there's books like The Case for Christ um, and, and different people who are secular scientists who had looked into this and end up proving it to themselves, and it, and it happens. But what do, you look, what do you find when you look for that stuff? What if we really investigated? What if we had a court case and tried to prove it? What would we find? Well, those things have been done, and what we have found, what is the evidence, the, it, it's kind of overwhelming and amazing, and it almost makes you feel like when you really look at it, it takes more faith to believe it didn't happen than it happened, although what we believe is in faith and putting our faith in Christ. But m most, if not all, agree. I would say I don't think I've ever read anything where someone would say Jesus did not historically exist, like there was no per ever, there was not ever a person named Jesus that was in history, okay? 
He is a verifiable person by all standards of every bit of history of any other person who lived during the period that the Bible says he lived in. It's in that account. It's in all other you know, kinds of historical, even government, Roman-type documents that would say here's events that happened. Nobody denies that he existed, and nobody denies that something happened. Like, like, there's no way all this came out of the fact that he just lived. Something had to happen to cause all this. And what happened turned timid, scared, running for their lives and hiding disciples into like fearless, kamikaze, evangelist, missionary church planners. I mean, whatever happened totally turned these guys around. It was, it was that compelling. Whatever they saw and whatever they heard changed them to that degree from just flat out denying him to giving their lives for him. Jesus undeniably existed, and no one denies that. Real-time, place, person, well-documented. There's guys even like, a, there's a guy named uh, Bart Ehrman who is, he's like one of the biggest antagonists to Christianity. He, he like, he tries to write... Uh, a book every year to disc- against tear down Christianity, but even he agrees that Jesus existed and something happened. Okay, Jesus is one of the most documented figures in history, even outside the Bible. Most writers, there's there's guys like uh, Thallus, fifty two A.D., a pagan non Christian, who said this, and he's he's this is reading from a quote by um, Julius Africa- Africanus in 221 A.D., but he's quoting what he read from this guy in 52 A.D. Not, sorry to run circles around that, but this is like writing of 52 A.D. where this, it says this, On the whole world there pressed a most fearful darkness, and the rocks were rent by an earthquake, and many places in Judea and other districts were thrown down. This darkness, and this is a guy in 52 A.D., okay, that would have seen this, this darkness, Thallus, in the third book of his history, calls as appears to me without reason an eclipse of the sun. Okay, so this guy that was there documented, and if you know what happened at the crucifixion of Christ when the earth shook and, the, and everything went dark and the veil of the temple was torn in two, okay, this guy's, here's a guy outside of Christianity that's writing and went, Something happened that day, but it must have been an eclipse of the sun. Like he he wrote that that there really was this darkness and the earth really shook. Okay? Others like um, Tacitus, Pliny the Younger, you're talking 60s to to 113 AD, right? You're talking people who would have, who could have potentially seen or, or talked to people who saw. Okay? And were outside of Christianity. These are government historians and just just teachers and philosophers not to mention that we do have the bible which is a historical document i mean four independent biographical accounts matthew mark luke and john of the life of jesus four independent people writing about it okay another undeniable fact is that jesus after a public ministry was sentenced sentenced in a roman court to Roman crucifixion, the death sentence, and on the third day, the followers of Jesus were running all over the place saying he had risen from the dead and claiming to have seen him and touched him, okay? And all of them, okay? And, and we, we also know there was an empty tomb, an undeniable fact by all parties involved. Like if, whether you look at Roman documents, the Jewish leaders, uh, Christian sources, everybody goes, there, there was an empty tomb. Now, how that happened gets debated, but whether it was empty or not is not debated, okay? Are you, are you seeing where all this goes? And yet we act like it takes such a leap of faith to understand all this. And, and this, this movement was started really by his sighting, not just the empty tomb, but people saw him, and, and there was clear evidence of his resurrection um, by his followers. I mean, um, you saw his followers go from 
25,000 in AD 100 to like 20 million in AD 310, okay? And today, millions, 2.3 billion, okay? Or 3, I can't, 2.3, 3.2, whatever it is, 2.3, okay? So, so you go, how did, if, if that, if they didn't really see him, if that didn't really happen, how did this thing just explode that fast, Okay? So let's talk about some of the disputed parts just real quickly. Some say that the disciples stole the body themselves because Jesus said he would rise from the dead and, and do so on the third day, and they needed to make it seem as though it happened so they wouldn't look stupid for following him all that time, right? So some say they stole the body and hid it away to, to kind of save face and, and made up the resurrection. And the Bible even records this itself, that this was something that was thought of that people thought, well, maybe the disciples would steal it. It records how the Roman guards placed at the tomb um, went, went running to the religious leaders of that time when, when the body was gone, okay? Um, the Roman guards didn't go running to the Roman officials. They went running to the Jewish leaders, religious leaders. And, and the religious leaders actually bribed them and said, hey, if you'll say this happened this way that, that it really happened that they came and took him you guys um, what they overtook you or whatever happened we'll give you this bag of money if you'll just hold to that and we'll make sure that you don't get in trouble by the Roman officials okay for letting this happen we'll protect you if you'll tell this story I mean that's recorded in history okay and and so they told him, they, they, they told them to do that, and they accepted, okay? And, dis, and, and, and so to say that the disciples of Jesus came in the night and stole the body, then they told them, you know, um, then they wanted to go try to f actually find where he was, but, but it's the thing, they took the money and started this rumor, and that rumor still gets told today in certain circles, in certain religious circles, that that's what happened. But there's a big problem with that story as well as today is that the tomb was given a full Roman guard to guard it, okay? And if we understand that, that could be, usually it was like 16 soldiers was a Roman guard. I know sometimes we look at the, the pictures and there's like two guys standing there or three guys standing there. And that may have been the ones that were actually on guard at that time and the others were sleeping so they'd rotate for three days or whatever. But the, the, the group that would have been there would have been like 10, 12, 14, 16 guys, okay? And, and so they were highly trained, heavily armed, best train, trained uh, military of its time, okay? The most powerful military of its time. And it would, it, okay, just think about this. You would have had to sneak past, say, 16 guards, okay? move like a two-ton stone quietly enough not to get their attention or disturb them, okay, even if they were asleep, okay, it, which, which would be really impossible. But, and, and here's the thing, falling asleep for a Roman guard at this time on duty, do you know what it meant if somebody found out they had fallen asleep? They got executed immediately, okay, so I think there's some little motivation not to fall asleep, okay, and to do your rotations and all that stuff. Staying awake while on guard as a, as a Roman guard was of highest priority, okay? But even if that were possible, even if they just got, even if they got past them, okay, uh, however many disciples there were of Jesus, um, what, if they stole the body, why did they die for their faith in Jesus. Why did they die for the fact that they would say he rose from the dead if he really didn't? Willingly died for a story they made up? Okay? John was exiled in, in, to an island instead of killed. They wanted to kill him but couldn't, didn't pull it off. But, but how, how would all these guys eventually even die for that story? And, and we're not talking about they died like you know, some nice peaceful death or whatever. They deny what they say, what they would say, they said about the resurrection and live or hold to the story and die a terrible death. Why would they do that, okay? 
And those men all separately held to their faith, not being like in a group together, standing there dying for their faith. We're talking different places in the known world at that time, separately held to their faith and their testimony of the resurrection of Christ. Like James, son of Zebedee, was beheaded. Matthew was cut up with a battle axe and a spear. Paul beheaded. Philip was beaten and imprisoned and then crucified. Mark was drugged through the streets and died as a result of it. Peter was crucified in Rome. James uh, was thrown from the top of the temple in Jerusalem, then beaten with a club till he was dead. You would think falling that high from the pinnacle of the temple, being thrown off of it, um, you would die, but he didn't, so then they beat him with a club. Bartholomew was beaten and crucified. Andrew was bound to a cross where he preached from the cross until he was dead. Like they put him on a cross, and he preached at people for like two days before he died. Why in the world would you do that if that was not true? Like it may, there's no way, okay? Thomas was run through by sol four soldiers with spears. Jude was shot with arrows and then crucified. And Matthias, the one who replaced Judas, was stoned and beheaded, okay? People, even today, will die for something that's not true if they believe it to be true. Okay, we see that. We understand that, right? But people don't, know, don't die for what they know is a lie. You're not going to die for what you know to be a lie. They were just willing days previously to deny him before they saw him resurrected. As soon as he was crucified, they all denied him and would walk away. Why would they ch have that kind of change that quickly if they didn't see Jesus raised from the dead, if they didn't witness it and see him, okay? Each willingly went to a violent death, and they could have ran from it like they did before. They could have been rewarded if they, if they had told otherwise. There is no way they just stole the body for a lie. And then there's the others, you know, the Romans or the Jewish leaders. Did they take the body? What on earth would the motive be, okay? When you look to prove a crime, what do you look for? What's the motive? There is actually motive for them not to do it, not for them to do it. It only works against them for them to steal the body. It makes no sense, okay? It only works, and if they stole the body, and there's this big uprising of Christians, and you want to squash it, what do you do if you stole the body? You're going to parade it through town and go, look, nope, he's dead, okay? Squashes all that, okay? It, it just makes no sense, and there is no argument for the fact that, that, that they stole the body, the religious leaders or the Romans, okay? That's all they would have had to do to shut down the followers of Jesus, okay? Show the body, but they couldn't. And there's no historical record of any kind of that happening. And they put guards on the tomb. Why? Because their biggest fear is that he would be gone in three days. They wanted to make sure he was in there. Okay? So it's recorded in history even in the Bible. Matthew 27, 62 through 66 says this. Now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, the deceivers said, after three days, and they're calling Jesus a deceiver, after three days, I'm, I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, he is risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go, make it as secure as you know how. Here's the Here's Pilate telling the, the guard, make it as secure as you possibly can, as we know how with all of our resources, okay? And they went and made the grave secure, and along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone, okay? This whole thing was an incredible threat to the Jews and the Romans. And the last thing they would, would want to happen is to let the body be gone, okay? So if they, they would have shown it to everyone if they still had it, okay, but they didn't. It's why no one can claim this whole thing was one, even one mass hallucination or trick is due to, or, or that it was due to the grief of all the people that they just thought they saw Jesus or whatever it was, um, someone that looked like him. There's just no way that's possible with the number of witnesses that saw him after he had been 
raised from the dead. Hundreds of people, even at one time, it's recorded, saw him. Okay? And, and all the Romans or Jewish leaders had to do is produce the body, and that hallucination or so whatever is over. Okay? Then there's this idea that everybody went to the wrong tomb. Like, people will try to argue that. Okay? But again, nobody holds this because it's so evident that all the Romans had to do is, like, point out the right tomb and go, no, it's this one, and here's the body. Right? I mean, I mean if they secured it that way, if, that well, and you just have... Um, to account for, for all these people who saw Jesus alive and ate with him and talked with him and touched him, okay? 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ, this is Paul speaking, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, <clears throat> and that he ap appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of them who remain until now, but some has fallen asleep. So he's saying, there's people you can go to and talk to right now in, in his time that he's talking here and ask them about it. They saw him, and nobody, none of them disputed any of this. Then he appeared to James, then to, to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one ultimately born, uh, he appeared, he appeared, uh, untimely born, he appeared to me also, okay? Because, you know, on the road to Damascus, Paul, Jesus appears to him directly, okay? Because he wasn't there when that happened. Hundreds of firsthand eyewitnesses saw him, and all the disciples were willing to die for what they saw, okay? Then I'll briefly mention this, but this is not even valid anymore. Like, nobody really tries to argue this, but the whole swoon theory if you've ever heard that, which, which it's been around for a long time but can't get any traction because of medical and things we know about people physically and that kind of thing. The swoon theory says that Jesus didn't really die. He, he just passed out for three days, okay? He, he, just, he just kind of uh, was beaten to the point that he, he really looked like he was dead, but he really wasn't, okay? He, he kind of went unconscious, he passed out on the cross, and they accidentally buried him. And after laying in a tomb, swooned for three days, he moved a two-ton stone and walked out, okay? And, and that's a big problem. The physical evidence is overwhelming. But he, he went through a beating with a whip called a cat of nine tails, if you've ever heard about that and how the crucifixion would have gone. It's, a, it's like a whip, but it has nine straps on it with metal weights on the end, and then they put bone and hooks and, and all kinds of fragments and glass is all in the end of this so, so that when they hit you with it, it digs into your skin and then they pull and it rips the flesh off your body to the point of um, exposing even bone and intestines after you've been beat with it so long, okay? Some of you are swooning right now, okay? But, but it's, it, it, it's that gruesome, okay? And they, the, they would say that 40 lashes with the cat of nine tails, if you were sentenced to 40 lashes, that's them giving you the death penalty because people did not survive 40 lashes. They just never did. Does anybody know how many lashes they gave Jesus? 39, okay? But he just passed out for a while, okay? It, it, it makes no sense, okay? No one survived 40. He got 39. Then he got pierced in the head by wooden stakes, now, we like to make it all sound romantic and cool and say it was a crown of thorns, okay? Which, as, our, as we look at him as our king, it's good for us to say that. But really, what was on his head would have like three or four inch spikes on it um, because of the type of, of plant that was used for making the, this crown that went on his head. And they would place, and you'd think, oh, they just placed this on his head. No, once they rammed it down on his head, they would take a club and beat in the three or four inch little spikes that were on it, okay? But he just swooned, okay? Then he carries the top cross beam of the cross all the way to Golgotha, nailed through his wrists and his ankles, which is excruciating pain, okay, where those nerves are, okay? Do you know where we get the word excruciating? from the word crucifixion, OK? 
okay? That, that's, it's, it's, it's excruciating. It, it literally means, excruciating literally means from the cross. It's that severe pain. That's why we call it excruciating pain because we're, we're making a metaphor to what it would have been like to be crucified because of the extreme pain, okay? Then Jesus hung there and couldn't breathe, so you, you, you have to push up on those nerves and, or pull up on that that's in your wrist to try to take a breath um, to exhale even because you could, you, could, you could suck it in, but you couldn't. You had to lift yourself out up to actually get it out of you, okay? And so the CO2 buildup in your system would basically choke you out, okay? And, and so then buried in a tomb and burial cloths for three days without medical attention or food or water, then overpowered, then, then having all that happened and swooned because all that happened and all, no food or water, he's able to move that stone and overpower 12, 14, 16 Roman guards, okay? Because he only swooned. Like, it, it makes no sense. The, the Journal of American Medical Association even looked at the evidence historically, specifically at Jesus, and came to one extreme fact that they said there's no way that people back then would have recorded that, would have even known what that was, but proves he could not have been alive, okay? They actually, Amer the medical, American Medical Association in their journal wrote about this, okay? And... He, it, it defeats it and says he really was dead. One of the points talking about when the Bible says the spear was thrust into his side and, and the, the witnesses in Scripture and otherwise say that water and blood flowed out of from the spear poking in, okay? That the eyewitnesses there would not have known this of, of why to record that, but the significance of that time, what it was is the fluid can only come from the sac that surrounds the heart, the pericardium, Okay? And, and then into the heart itself. So they literally into his side and into his heart, okay? This is not something you live through, okay? It's just not possible. He was definitely dead, okay? Know he existed. Know the crucifixion ha happened. Know he was dead. Know the tomb he was in. Can't explain how he got out. We can from Scripture, Okay? So if there's no stolen body, no wrong tomb, no hallucination, no swooning, or any other explanation that hold, holds water, what happened? What's left? Okay? He rose from the dead. He did what he said he would do. He proved it. Okay? And, and up front, if you don't believe that can happen and you think, don't try to intellectually trap me into a corner and, and coerce me into saying, well, it had to have happened and, 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 and all that because, you know, Marty, I hear what you're saying, but it's impossible for somebody to be raised, to come back to life, to be raised from the dead, to which I would say, exactly. It is. That's why it's a miracle. That's why it's a God thing. That's, that's the point, okay? They don't. We knew it, and the people then knew it. That doesn't happen, okay? No one ever even would come up with, if you were inventing a story to create a religion, you wouldn't do this. This wouldn't be the story because everybody would go, no, that can happen. But all they're doing is recording what really actually happened. It's an impossible story. The story of the resurrection didn't come about because of the disciples' faith. Get this connection here, okay? The, the story of the resurrection didn't come about because of the disciples' faith but their faith came about because of a result of the res resurrection. You understand that? They, they, they weren't trying to, I mean, the death ran them off. The resurrection proved it. And so their faith came about because of that. They didn't have to make that up because of their faith. Okay? Jesus really rose from the dead and they saw it and they, they gave their lives for it. Easter is not just bunnies and baskets and eggs. It's an, about an, an amazing event that happened 2,000 years ago. A dead man rose to life. And what's special about this is it, it not only brings us forgiveness of our sin, but new life and new power over death and hell and the grave new power to live a new spiritual life. You don't have to be trapped in, in, in the chains of addiction and, 
and who you are, you can be who God created you to be, which is an abs- it's absolutely wonderful. They asked Jesus to prove it, and he did. And this I know, and I, Lord, I hope it doesn't happen, and I hope I would be able to say I would do it, but I, I believe it happened, and, and even for myself, I would stake my life on it, that that really happened. What about you? What are you betting your life on? You're betting your life on something. So what is it? And would you consider for a moment what really happened a couple thousand years ago? Now, if you still have questions, it's okay. Okay? Everybody does. And so for the next few weeks, what's awesome is I want to invite you back because for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about all those questions. And, and, and I want you to ask me more questions. I'd love for you to email me and say, well, Marty, what about this? And what about this? And I have a question about this. Well, I'd love to talk about it, okay? And, and mutual respect and each other. And if anybody's been around here for long enough, they know you don't get treated harsh or different or ran off because you believe differently, okay? If you still have questions, it's okay. Questions like, why doesn't God stop all the evil and suffering in the world? Why does he let all this continue? We all have questions like that. It, it seems like the God of the Old Testament and Jesus of the New Testament are so different. One's loving, one's very harsh, and all this bloody stuff. And the, like, What is the deal bet- between the Old Testament and New Testament? It seems like different gods. Well, we'll talk about that because they're not. Okay, and, and if you read it, you see this. And but we have those questions. The, the God of the Old Testament seems so unjust and vengeful and wrathful and angry. Jesus is just my friend. Like, what, what's up with that, okay? Is there really a difference? Why do Christians today seem so homophobic and judgmental and uh, just plain weird, right? Or even, what is true and can I trust the Bible as an authority on what truth is? Maybe you have other questions and you just need a safe place to ask. That's what we're here for. And what we're going to do over the next few weeks and talk about. Maybe you have a question you'd like to send to me, and I would welcome that. But if you're here on Easter and understand for the first time today what God has done for you, that this is real, that you don't have to check your brain at the door to believe it, you don't. But there is a certain amount of faith. Faith is saying, I put my trust in Jesus for what he did for me. Not just that we know it's an actual event, but that in doing so, it pays for my sin, that it qualifies him for who he says he was and what he said he did. It qualifies him to have paid for my sin and for me to have new life. And I'm placing my trust in that by the power of the Holy Spirit that he's going to change me. And so you just surrender to that today. Maybe you need to take a step toward what God has done for you this morning. I'd even go this far. If you would say, Marty, today I see it, that, that I've been living my life my own way, Lord of my own life. I don't need God. I've been saying no to him. But this morning I understand what the resurrection means for me, that it's true. I'm, I, I'm turning from me and my sin, and I'm turning to Jesus. And he's now Lord of my life, and, and I want to live for him, not myself. If that's you, then, then I'll go this far. We can sit down for just a moment when they play in a minute. We'll even run you over here and baptize you this morning. You're like, oh, I'm in my Easter outfit. If you're like me, that's not real impressive, okay? We're kind of casual around here. It's okay. But, but think about this. You're giving your life to Christ. Who cares about a wet car seat or your clothes? This is miracle life change heart stuff, okay? M- maybe this is something you need to do. It's ready and it's over there. We'll sit down and talk and we'll, we'll do it, okay? Or maybe it's just as simple as saying... I mean, because that's what you see in Scripture. People come to Christ and they get baptized immediately, okay? And it's not baptism that saves you. It's Jesus and what he did, okay? But, but maybe this is something, a step you just need to take is baptism even. We'll celebrate that with you this morning. But maybe you just need to take a step and say, I'm, I'm, I want to explore some more and know more about this. And I'm not sure I'm buying all in, into this this morning, Marty, but I, I'll take this journey with you and I'd love to know more. Please come back. Okay. But with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask them to come back up to be ready to play some music for us as we sing one more time to, to worship before things are finished. But if that's you and you're saying, 
yeah, I, I gave my life to Christ this morning, or I want to. I'm, and I'm in that place of wanting to turn to Him and be free from the chains of sin in my life. Then right now, right where you're sitting, you just do that. You make that decision. You just turn to Him, okay? And there's no magic prayer to repeat after me. It's just you having a conversation with God. You can go to Jesus directly yourself. And you just tell him, best I know how, I give myself to you. Thanks for dying on the cross in my place for my sin and being raised from the dead that I could have new life. And if that's you, I, just come see me right after I step off the stage or email me later if that's what you want to do or call me, whatever. But I'll, we're here for you, okay? Father, you are so good and trustworthy. Thank you for allowing us to, to know you and have new life, to be forgiven of our sin. And you can give us a life of purpose and satisfaction in you. Help each of us today with our questions and whatever they may be. Father, may we reach out in love to one another as we help each other along in this spiritual journey here on earth. Father, thank you today for Jesus and the truth of what he did for us. We celebrate that he is alive and well and still pursuing us. I pray for those who still have needs and they need to step out and just give their life to your son Jesus today. Give them boldness and peace. Father, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. my day.